This movie was my introduction to Nick Cage, and oh, what an introduction it was. Today I'm talking about Face Off. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends, and welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today we are kicking off our 12 Days of Cage celebration in earnest with uh, the freeform discussions of everything that is great about Cage movies and Nicolas Cage's acting in general, and in particular, we're talking about Face Off today. Now, Face Off is, it's kind of this weird... (laughs) one-off great success story that was never nobody really attempted to replicate anything quite like it again and even the director who did it john woo was never really able to replicate this again in america which makes it all kind of interesting and fascinating so yeah so that's what i'm going to be talking about today and i remember very vividly this is the first time i saw a Nicolas cage movie uh i was a teenager and i had a, a somebody who was like i felt like i was too old that i had like somebody who was looking after me over the weekend kind of like a babysitter basically and he's like well you should at least be able to watch an r-rated movie and we watched face off and it was a time but i really enjoyed it and still enjoy it to this day because it is melodramatic and silly and ridiculous and none of the science makes sense and that's all kind of part of the appeal so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the movie the general premise is that is is that John Travolta plays Sean Archer, who is an FBI agent with a grudge against a particular mercenary for hire named Castor Troy, who is played by Nicolas Cage. And so, and the reason for that is because uh, Castor Troy, um, in an attempt to kill Sean Archer a long time ago, uh, ac- accidentally killed. Archer's son who was with him at the time so Archer has held understandably held a grudge the whole time and we opened the movie after the assassination with um we opened the movie after the assassination with Archer finally tracking uh Castor Troy down and capturing him and he's put he ends up being put in a coma unfortunately what they discover is that right before he was captured and put into that coma, Castor Troy had actually set up a bomb to set up a bomb that was going to detonate and, and potentially kill a ton of people. So, through an experimental surgery, Sean Archer uh, switches faces with <laughs> switches faces. They like cut it off. They like laser it off. Switches faces with uh, Castor Troy and begins to impersonate him in a high security prison so that he can get information from Castor Troy's brother about where this bomb is located and how they can get rid of it. Unfortunately for Sean, Castor Troy wakes up and then gets decides he's going to take Sean Archer's face if the uh, you know if if he t- if, you know if he took his face I'm going to take your face and I'm going to take your life and leave you to die on and leave you to die on this prison. And so then, you know, then it means that Sean Archer, as Castor Troy, has to then fight his way out of this prison and find a way to take Sean Archer down and get people who believe him. So it is this weird combo of barely explained sci-fi that 
<laughs> and as it was described by Jason Manzukis of How Did This Get Made, it is just two bananas actors trying to out-bananas each other <laughs> throughout the entire film. And the thing that's fascinating is that this is kind of the tale of two performances for Nicolas Cage, because on the one end, him in the opening of this movie, playing Caster Troy, even in the flashback situation where they've literally got a merry-go-round, you know, because John Woo is not subtle when it comes to, you know, taking down images of innocence. <laughs> even in that, like, he's, like, mustachioed and all that and weird and, like, sipping a soda. He is just balls-to-the-wall insane. So everything about the character is just so overplayed. It's so ridiculous. He's introduced by like wearing a priest's frock and then like grabbing a girl's ass. Like it's really weird. And he looks like he's like really enjoying himself. And he literally has two gold-plated guns that he fires that have like dragons on them. He's got velvet suits and he, he is disgusting. He's very intentionally disgusting. And it's kind of amazing that that's what's you know that's that's the character that he's playing but and so you then take that energy and put it on john travolta for most of the rest of the movie whereas this kind of more underplayed character is actually being played by nicholas cage throughout most of the movie and that's what's so fascinating is that he actually is good at playing multifaceted characters like he's not just gonzo all the time now he does have a number of highlight real moments where he is like he's high at one point and he's trying to talk about like what happened to him and what he wants to do to his enemy and he's you know says the title of the movie about five times and apparently he's completely improvised and his face looks insane and he looks completely wild but it all works in the context of this ridiculous movie and he has a number of scenes in this movie where he's actually having to be very sincere he has this long monologue where he's trying to reveal to his wife that it's actually him and telling the story of their first date that went very badly and it's very emotional and it actually hits because Nicolas Cage is very very good at this at this scene and does the dramatic work and that's before we get to his commitment to <laughs> to wanting to do all the action in this movie and both him and John Travolta like they weren't spring chickens when they were doing this and they really committed to doing as much of the action as they could and for John Woo that's a lot of dual wielding pistols and flying through the air and all this kind of stuff and Nicholas Nicholas Cage was all in and uh, he has these great moments like uh, there's another one that I love where he's in the prison and they're all wearing boots and I think the boots are either from Starship Troopers or Super Mario Brothers like they're magnetic boots it's a it's a it's a kitschy but kind of fun idea for a prison and he has this moment where he gets into a fight to prove who he is but he's, but he's having an identity crisis because he's of what he sees in the mirror and who he's saying he is, which is the man who killed his son, and he's having this psychological break as he's doing it. And, you know, again, it's one of those, it's out of context, completely wild. In the context of the movie, it works perfectly. And that's what's so fun about Nicolas Cage is that he will, like, no other actor takes this many big swings all the time. And you can tell that John Travolta probably saw Nick Cage acting at one point and went, oh shit, I need to go balls to the wall on this if I'm gonna match the energy that he has. And there's a lot of fun stories uh, from this set. Uh, apparently 
Nicolas Cage apparently was a gi- is a gigantic was a gigantic John Woo fan, which you'd have to like being a gigantic John Woo fan in this era means you would have to somehow acquire or watch Hong Kong movies. Now that's a lot easier nowadays than it was before, but you know, you'd have to have, like, you'd have to know what A Better Tomorrow and Hard Boiled or The Killer are, and those weren't readily accessible even in the late 90s. Like, it took me a while to see those. And, you know, it's so Nicolas Cage apparently really wanted to look like Chow Yun-Fat. Like, he was he was really excited about getting to work with John Woo. So at one point when he did, like, his diving with, through the air with two guns, which is a John Woo special, he asked, he's like, hey, did I look like Chow Yun-Fat? Like, he's just like, I don't know. He has this childlike enthusiasm sometimes. Or the other the other bit that apparently Cage left Con Air, like got on a plane, and they started shooting the finale to Face Off, which is a whole other world. So, and this is the other thing about it is the the other thing is looking at this movie not just from the context of it's kind of interesting because it's like it marks like an end and kind of this transitional period in, in American action movies. So. American action movies at this point were definitely trying to do different things. Uh, they were looking to Hong Kong cinema because that kind of had opened up a little bit more. They were getting a, a bitter, bigger view of it at this point. You know, Jackie Chan's about to have kind of a, a small resurgence, uh, you know, a, a more of a resurgence in America just as a visible talent. And because kind of the old beefcake roles weren't really working so much and so stuff like that. So they were looking at Hong Kong cinema, and they had attempted to do this with John Woo with John Claude Van Damme. That didn't work so much. Uh, Hard Target. I kind of like Hard Target, but it's not the best. And but this one was kind of right up John's John Woo's alley because you get to have you know he got to do his doves, he got to do his slow motion shootouts, he got to do you know his insane just you know his over the top juxtaposition. So we have a shootout happening while over the rainbow plays in a child's headphones. Like oh my goodness, and so it works really well. So it, it's kind of one of these movies, and it was so successful both critically, like critically, it's almost it was almost perfect at the time. And then commercially, it was also very successful. So it's one of these movies that I think, you know, you can look at something like, how did the Matrix get made? Well, that style, this style of action proved it's like, hey, you can do this kind of over-the-top action with, you know, a bunch of guns blazing and diving through the air, and that'll be, people will love that. And on the Nick Cage front, this is part of Nick Cage's arguably the best run of his career, because... At this point, Nick Cage can do no wrong because in 1995, he he had been kind of an on-again, off-again leading man. He was mostly a leading man in independent films and then more of a secondary character or a romantic lead in studio films. And this one just kind of pushed him over. And But then in 1995, he did Leaving Las Vegas, which earned him an Oscar, I think rightfully. And... Then I'll, and then right after that, he made three of the most like well-known action movies of the '90s. So he made The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off in less than two years. Like he made them all within that span, and it was kind of like basically Academy Award-winning actors did not become action stars, and Nick Cage was not a conventional action star. But this is the end of his triumvirate of action movie successes. And so that's how even a couple years later you can have him doing a bunch of different movies that both play for comedy or play for romance or both. And so, you know, a couple years later he's doing stuff like, oh, he's doing Gone in 60 Seconds 
or he's doing the National Treasure movies, or he's doing stuff like The Family Man. So this is, it's kind of this era where it's like, yeah, Cage could pretty much do whatever he wants. And it's interesting to look at this now because I think a lot of people would assume, <laughs> would assume that the more dramatic part would have to be given to John Travolta. Not to say that, <laughs> but... It's not, and that's the thing that's so interesting is that a lot of the more nuanced acting in the middle of the film is actually given to Nicolas Cage. And I think more filmmakers now, like there's an ebb and flow with Nicolas Cage, with Nick Cage, that there are, you know, he'll have streaks where people don't seem to know what to do with him, or he, he's just been making a bunch of movies recently, partially because I think it's just what he likes to do, but also partially I think it's due to financial situations. So he makes a bunch of these one-off you know, like straight to, you know, straight to video movies. But at the same time, he's also getting picked up in a number of these in, like well-received independent films. And I think that's actually, you know, we'll get into some more of those later and why certain ones do or don't work. But it's fascinating to see where people kind of, what cage people like and what cage people want to see. And it's pretty clear that a lot of people really like the caster Troy that he plays, and other people seem to like this middle ground that he plays uh, throughout the rest of the film, at least for most of it. So that's it for today. Um, I'm going to let tomorrow's movie be a surprise because I haven't truly decided what it's going to be. We've got 12 days of cage, so that's it for today. But uh, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you all next time. This has been Scott's Off Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Off Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.